Welcome to the Potter Discussion. Welcome back to the Potter Discussion. This is episode 92, and on today's episode, we will be testing our knowledge on Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Let's do this. Quiz Master. This is a fun one because we're talking about the Order of the Phoenix, the longest book in Harry Potter, and in my opinion, one of the best stories, not only because of the awesome character development and really revealing, uh, you know, little plot points and sub storylines that we got to follow, but also because of the amazing movie that was made. I know it's not a lot of people's favorite because it is, of course, the longest Harry Potter book, and it might not be that well paced, but... The story is really good all the same, and nothing beats that battle scene at the end. I've talked about this before. That battle scene, whew, that like, in my opinion, that rivals the Battle of Hogwarts. That was really amazing, especially I think that that really held up with the books. That was a really amazing thing to watch on screen. I mean, even watching or reading the books, everyone was thinking when the movie was going to come out, man, this like is going to be really long, but we have to watch it. Of course, it's a Harry Potter movie, and... I do think that the response was a little more, you know, happy with the movie than they were with the books just because it's on screen and more exciting and it is much more, you know, digestible than a, you know, 800 page long book. But it's a great story, very long book, great movie. Let's just get into the first question, which is how many chapters are in The Order of the Phoenix? This is a pretty technical question. If you're sitting in your room, you know, listen to this at 10 o'clock at night, you can go over your bookshelf, just, you know, take it out and flip to the table of contents. But if you're not, if you're on your walk or run, let's think about this. Let's rack our brains and think how many chapters are in the Order of the Phoenix. Now, it's not really a technical, I mean, rather, it is a very technical question, and you probably don't have a... Uh, good knowledge of this, but I just wanted to drive home the point that this is a really long book, and the answer is 38. There are 38 chapters in The Order of the Phoenix, which is, of course, the most chapters in any Harry Potter book, and just a little fun fact, I think the, I forget the name of it right now, but it, the, the longest chapter had something to do with Umbridge. Maybe it was Dolores Umbridge, maybe that was the longest chapter in Harry Potter and The Order of Phoenix the book with the most chapters and the longest. <laughs> so I don't know how many pages it was, but that's the longest chapter in the longest book. Let's move on to the next question. And question number two is what was Harry doing when the book started? So this is really where we're, we're starting out here. What was Harry doing when the book started? So it, it, this is not in the movie, so do not go off of the movie version. I'm talking about the book here, just because it's a very, very memorable what he does in the movies. You know, he goes to on, on the swing set, and that was a really good scene. It was really eerie. I think that was a that was a really good start to the movie, just because you know the kids got off of that you know thing where it spins around. I don't know the name of it, carousel maybe. And it, it just keeps spinning and the wind is blowing, you know, the clouds are billowing. Harry, I don't know what he was thinking because I don't know if we, um, you know, got his thoughts in the book I mean, in, in that scene. But Harry was really, 
you know, seeing these signs. And even in the movie, you could tell he's like, man, this is this is weird because, you know, they're like close ups and he's watching the carousels. It's still blowing. That's like classic horror movie beginning. But then Dudley comes up and he's like, where's your mom, Potter? Where's your mom? <laughs> that was a funny scene. Uh, that's kind of mean to say, but it was funny the way all of his friends reacted and then the way Dudley was like, oh, I know a stick was pointing at me, like for good reason. I mean, it is his wand, but it is definitely important to note that Harry is not allowed to use magic and Dudley knows that, but Dudley is still scared of Harry just because Dudley knows what Harry can do to Dudley. That's a long train of thought, but I think it's high time we answer this question. What was Harry doing when the book starts? And the answer is uh, listening to the news through the window in the bushes. That's right. He was lying down, even the, the chapter art, I believe. He is sitting, or rather lying down under the window in a bush of flowers. And he is listening to the news just to make sure that Voldemort isn't doing anything funny. Nothing, no, no funny business. And then he gets up and he hits his head in the window. And then uh, Vernon's like, rah, rah, attacks him. So it's a whole scene. And I do believe that is the first scene in the book. I don't know. It's it's definitely in the first chapter. But I know, I know Harry's like kind of thinking his thoughts in the beginning. And it's kind of a whole thing where he's kind of thinking like, well, if Voldemort says something, it'll be the front lines. You're going to probably kill someone or something like that. So Voldemort is definitely on the move. That's kind of what Harry was thinking. And he would definitely be, you know, the front first headline in the news if Voldemort any, did anything. So that's why Harry was listening. But let's move on to the next the next question. And that next question is number three. What is the first spell Dumbledore's army learns? So this is a very, uh, very complicated question just because there are really two sides of the story. You could say that it is a movie question or a book question. For this one, I'm going to go off of the books. That's kind of, uh, it's what I consider the canon just because... The movies really have to cut a lot of things out and change a lot of things just so they can, you know, uh, stay within their budget and within the time constraints that they have, of course, being a movie. They probably can't have in all a 17-hour movie. I wish they could, but unfortunately, I don't think that's how it works. But they do have quite a lot of things in the movies, but the books are just so much more detailed. So I'm going off of the books for this one. But what is the first of all for Army? I think this is a, this is a question where you have to think... What would Harry do? Because, of course, Harry is the people, he's, he's the person who, who teaches Dumbledore's army. But you have to think, what spell would Harry think is the best one to teach a group of people who need to learn defense first? Which spell do I think is the most valuable? And what spell have I used that has helped me out the most in my career as a person who fights Voldemort and is really the face of, you know, the whole Dumbledore's army thing? You know, he's he's the teacher. He's the one who knows the most. He's the person who's giving them the most tips and stuff like that so it's kind of a question of what spell does harry think is the most important and basic enough that a group of people like the people he's teaching could learn and the answer is expelliarmus that disarming charm it really fits with harry if you think about it his whole you know offense is or <laughs> defense is the best offense that's really what harry's whole thing is that's what he's known for uh, he learned expelling armus and i mean if i do point out snape was the one to teach him expelling armus i don't know feeding into a couple theories uh <laughs> 
that's besides the point, though. So, Expelliarmus is the first book that Harry teaches Dumbledore's army because Harry himself thinks that that is one of the most valuable spells you can learn, and he is not wrong. Expelliarmus has helped Harry out very much in specific... In specific. Expelliarmus has helped Harry out a lot in very specific situations, such as, you know, fighting Voldemort, and really just generally in his everyday life, Expelliarmus is a very helpful spell for Harry to have in his uh, everyday itinerary and uh, be generally skilled at. And he recognized that value in being skilled at this kind of spell, and he wanted to pass on his skill to other people. And that's exactly what he did. He gave Dumbledore's army that spell, and he you know, taught them that spell because he thought that that was one of the most valuable spells anyone could ever learn. And moving on for the next question, we have an easy one. What attacked Harry in the underpass? So he and Dudley are just going along, minding their own business, and then they get attacked by a something in the underpass. I think that's even what the chapter is called, the underpass. Very ominous and very spooky, but that is the question nonetheless. And I've got a hand it to the filmmakers here because in the movie, it was a really good scene. As, as I was mentioning before, you know, Harry's on the swing set and then he, you know, points his wand at Dudley and then all of his friends laugh. But Dudley knew that Harry could do some real damage. And then when the sky went dark and the wind picked up, that was a really well done scene. All of his friends ran away as fast as they could. And, you know, the way the clouds billowed and the kind of like the rain was raining and especially... With the like the flickering lights and the frost, that's kind of the telltale signs of. I'm just gonna cut myself up because I I just said what the answer was. We're gonna move on from that. I might as well tell the answer anyway right now. It's a Dementor. And what I was going to say, and now the answer is out, I can actually speak my mind. <laughs> I really liked the way that the frost and the lights were uh, flickering in the underpass. I think that was a really well done scene because you, the watcher, could like sense that there was something there and you almost didn't breathe just because you knew that if you did, if you made any sort of sound, the Dementors would hear you. And that's really the mark of a great film, how the audience gets captured into the actual movie, which is really amazing to think that a movie managed to kind of bring people into that situation so thoroughly, which is really difficult. It's really difficult to have someone who's listening or watching or reading to, you know, almost go into the scene that they are consuming. It's really difficult. And that's how, you know, it's like, it's like that. I don't know what it's called, but there's like a state of mind. That's like where you where you're reading a book and it's really good and then you feel like you're there and then you when you like you look at the clock it's like five hours later, it's that kind of feeling and with this scene it is that's that's exactly it there's, there's no other way to describe it you are just transported into the scene with frost and with flickering lights and then with especially when the dementors just come up it's just the music stops and then boom the dementors are there that's a really really well done thing to do. And everyone just let's let's laugh together. <laughs> Mrs. Fig, man, she she deserves an Oscar. She deserves an Oscar. That was 
really, really, really well done. Especially that actor. Absolutely phenomenal. I loved that scene. Especially because when, when she said, don't put it away, boy, there could be more of them. That was really, you know, a, a creative way for the writers to integrate Mrs. Fig in a way that showed that she was a, uh, you know, a magically involved person. Not that she could cast spells, but she knew of the magical community. And that she was someone who knew what was going on in the world, which was, it's like kind of a safety blanket after the Dementors ripped the covers off. We really haven't had a nice, you know, kind of realization that there are more people involved with the Order of the Phoenix and Dumbledore than we thought. So that was a really good scene. I love it every time I see it, and I can't wait to watch it again. All right, next question. And our next question is, who taught care of magical creatures? Ruby's Hagrid's class, we know, we love him, but he was unfortunately indisposed at the moment of the fifth book. He was on a secret mission to befriend the giants before... Voldemort and the Death Eaters could. Unfortunately, they didn't exactly get there in time. And the the good leader was... Uh, he was relieved of his head, to put it kindly. And the bad giant, the one who wanted to go with Voldemort, was put in his place as the leader. And then they went with Voldemort. So, fortunately, the mission wasn't very successful. But Care of Magical Creatures was still open. That They had to fill that class, and there was no one to do it. But... There was. Who was that person? Who was the person who filled in the position? It's not a well-known person, I can tell you that. It's not someone who's, you know, a common goer of Harry Potter. Not someone like that. But they are very, very good at what they do. And they, I think, uh, gave a unicorn. Maybe it was a young unicorn, the first animal that they... Yeah, I don't know. That's that's what I remember, a golden unicorn. And only the girls could touch it because they prefer a woman's touch. I believe that's what she said. But that is all the hints I can give you. And I can tell the answer right now. The answer is Professor Grubbly Plank. That what a what a solid name. That name is good. That's a that's a good name. <laughs> Professor Grubbly Plank. That's oh yeah. No names. Oof. Names are great. Grubbly Plank? Really? Really? Grubbly Plank. I don't know what Jake Rowling was thinking, but anyway, that's the person who taught Hagrid's class, and of course she was very good, but still the name can cover everything, I suppose. But she gave a unicorn, and the girls got to pet the unicorn. And yeah, really a fun scene to read slash hear about. So yeah, great scene, great question. And our next question is about the prophecy. The fifth book is where this whole like, pro- notion of a prophecy is, you know, revealed. You know, where Harry, uh, I mean, we, aren't, we don't get the details until later, but Snape overhears, you know, trying to give him the prophecy that he goes to Voldemort. But what's the, you know, so there's a, there's a ball in the Hall of Prophecies that has Harry's name on it and Voldemort's name on it. And Harry picked it up and then they're trying to get it to Voldemort, the Death Eaters. They ambush them at the Ministry of Magic, the whole awesome battle scene. But there is another person that the prophecy could have referred to. And it was Harry that Voldemort decided to interpret the prophecy as, 
But there was someone else in the mix. That someone else has a very large part in this battle. They were there. And this other person could have been someone who was, you know, actually at the, you know, place where the prophecy was. But also, there's another, yes, also, Voldemort could have gone after that person and, you know, done what they did, done what Voldemort did to this person. So who is this person? Who is this mysterious figure shrouded in mist that I'm talking about? Well, this person is... Neville. Neville is a very, very strong character. He he only realizes his full potential when he knows that, you know, in, in battle, there's really no right or wrong. You just try your best. And that's what he realized. And he really realized your potential. But the fifth book is really where he decided to step it up and give it his all because he knew that if he was going to, he, he was really not confident in himself at all. But he knew if he was going to be if he was going to doubt himself, he might as well do it in style. So he decided to really go all out and do some cool battle and stuff with his wand that he uh, that he got. And a really great scene. But Neville could have also been the prophecy because he was like the same, born in the same place at the same time. I don't know. But something like that. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> Next question is, what Quidditch position does Ron play? So this is the year that Ron decides, hey, I'm going to get into some Quidditch action because that's cool. And he does. He tries out and he makes the cut. But what position does he try out for? That is the question of the century. Okay, let's get into this. So, Ron is a very avid Quidditch player, and he is actually pretty good at it, but the only problem is he doesn't really, you know, have a have a unbiased and fair look on Quidditch, because, of course, with Harry as the captain, he isn't, you know, the, you know, perfect, unbiased, and perfectly neutral person that Harry has to put into a position. But, nonetheless, Ron makes the cut maybe because of certain spells cast by certain people, but I don't know. That that comes in next books, but we'll just have to see. So Ron does, in fact, get onto the team, but the question is, what position does he play? Now, I don't know if we have any prior knowledge on what Ron's favorite position is, but we can make a guess. So Harry's the Seeker, the Weasleys are the Beater, and we have, I think, the same Chasers. Maybe Ginny has to stand in, but that's probably the sixth book. We have Alicia Spinnett, Angelina Johnson, and the other one's name is escaping me at the moment. But we have Chasers, Beater, and Seeker. What is left? We have the Keeper. The Keeper is the position that Ron decides to take up, and that is the answer to this question. A really great position, actually. It's it's fun you could, because you get to just kind of hover around your, your big lollipop sticks. And then <laughs> when the time is right, you fly up and you and, and you 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 wave your arm and you you hit the ball out of the air and you get all the glory. I mean, that's a pretty cool job. I would definitely be a keeper if I became a if I went to Twitch because it's like fun because you get to block the balls, but also you didn't really have to, you know, bust your butt going around and like throwing balls and catching seekers and 
hitting the other bludgers with your bats wrapped in metal. So really difficult job, these other people who actually decide to work, to, to work, to win. <laughs> That's definitely what I wouldn't do. I would, of course, just stay by my lollipop sticks, my basketball hoops, and my blow bubbles through them and, you know, rile up the crowd, you know, with my fan riling abilities because I'm a keeper, of course. We have gone into a different place that I'll now take us out of. You're welcome. Next question. And the next question is, what job does Harry want? It is in the fifth year that students are encouraged to think of the job that they might want and go for that OWL, go for that N-E-W-T in the sixth year. So there's a lot of different moving parts in the fifth year that Harry has to figure out and move around in such a way that he can get this job. And it's a job that he has kind of heard about and has been wanting for a while he just didn't know that there was a job for it he's liked defense he's liked catching the bad guy i'm giving a lot of hints here pay attention and he likes you know the spells that kind of you know take away the danger in an enemy and situation in a group of people in anything harry just likes to do good and take the danger out of whatever he's facing which is a very big hint I hope you're listening to this answer. What job does Harry want? And the answer is an Auror. Harry wants to be an Auror. And it's a pretty good job to have, especially for Harry, because he defeats Voldemort in the end. Of course, he doesn't know that he defeats Voldemort in the fifth book. But he does, in fact, defeat the Dark Lord himself, which, in my books, makes a pretty dang qualified to be an Auror in the Ministry of Magic. But... The funny part is, I think Ron also became an Auror, and it's, you know, strange to see, you know, the whole trio just going into the Ministry of Magic. I know Ron and Harry both became Aurors, and I think Ron may have not been an Auror for later in the years, but Hermione was the Ministry of Magic, Hermione was the Minister of Magic for a while, too, so they really have a whole ministry thing going for them, and it's really fitting seeing as... You know, Harry, Ron, and Hermione all defeated evil and worked with the Ministry, somewhat, I guess, to defeat the, to defeat Voldemort. And Harry just wants the Ministry to be that, like, beacon of hope. Harry wants the Ministry to be that, you know, one thing that everyone just assumes is the good person, is the good party, is the one thing that you can look to. Because everyone wants that one thing to just see and know that that is good, to know that there's someone walk, looking out for you. And Harry wants to be that person, that organization, that whatever you want to call it. But the Ministry of Magic really helped Harry do that because he could join the Ministry of Magic along with Ron and Hermione and make the world a better place, which is exactly what his goal was. And I think his goal was achieved. Our final question of the day is, what kind of clothing did Hermione give to the house elves? It was in the fifth year that Hermione realized that all the house elves are working in the kitchens, but she didn't seem to realize that they actually liked what they did, and she thought that it was slave labor, as she said, slave labor, and she refused to eat the food, and she almost starved, but eventually she went and it was, it was, of all things, it was the fact that she wanted to go to the library that made her eat food again. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but she, she decided that the library was worth eating food made by apparent slaves. And, of course, the house elves are not slaves. They are not kept there against their will. They just like doing work, and they think it's right. So, 
Yes, Hermione was rather shocked that the house elves are, you know, be like making food constantly, but she didn't realize that they were, you know, happy. And as we all know, you set a house elf free by giving them clothes. So Hermione set on a mission to give every single house elf in the world clothes. And she kind of went off of Dobby. That was her, you know, general sense of, is this something that the, the house elves would like? And I think that's not a very good thing to go off of, just because Dobby was in a horrible environment, getting uh, treated horribly and having to punish himself if he did something wrong. But working for Dumbledore, the house elves were happy. They loved what they did because Dumbledore's such a great person to work for. And in Hogwarts, there's no shortage of food to make. So they liked working at Hogwarts, but Hermione didn't know that. So she made clothes. And the clothes she made were hats. Hermione made hats out of wool to, you know, try to try to convince the house elves that there were brighter days ahead of them, that they could that they could stop working and just be more happy. But didn't really work out because turns out the house elves like working. Oh my gosh, that's crazy that house elves actually like what they do. And Hermione didn't really realize that until the end. So that's the answer, hats. And let's close out this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, comments, topics, Quizmaster questions, or jokes that you want me to hear or the show to hear, please send me an email. My email is thepotterdiscussion at gmail.com. That is thepotterdiscussion at gmail.com. If you could just scroll down into podcast I have choice, tap those slash slash, or even leave a written review, that could help me out more than you can ever know, and it helps other listeners find the show. As always, 